that's where the magic happens with the CSM relationship. It's not teaching them how to use this button or this screen, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so product-led organizations should be looking at what a CSM does and finding ways to extract these low-value, high-volume activities away right. so that they can focus on that higher-level consultative approach. Welcome to NPS I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. Todd Olson is co-founder and CEO of Pendo, which helps companies accelerate software product adoption among customers and internal employees. He also recently released his brand new book, The Product-Led Organization. Today, Todd and I discuss the tension between customer success and product, why being product-led benefits CSMs, and how Todd's biggest mistake as an entrepreneur helped to make Pendo a success. Awesome. So the first question I want to ask you today, pretty simply, is just why Pendo? What is the challenge you're solving? And does it get you as excited today as it did when you were first starting the company? Oh, absolutely. Right. So that's the that's the great part. Coach entrepreneurs, pick a problem that you're, <laughs> that you're in love with because you're going to be married to it for a very long time. So, but yeah, the, the problem was pretty simple. You know, I'm a Prior to this, I was a head of product. And, and one of the most frustrating things as a builder or you know, product leader, honestly, even as an engineer, is building things that, that don't get used, don't deliver value to customers. At the end of the day, when you create something, you want the end user to get value out of it. Pendo actually means value in, in Latin. So that, that was the original inspiration for the idea. And so I've kind of been on this quest to help make sure that value is realized and and i kind of started with analytics and like just getting good data the first thing is like you need to be aware mm-hmm. of whether you're actually you know delivering value and, and usage is a leading indicator of value if someone's just not using something at all probably not getting value out of it that's pretty logical mm-hmm. and then um from there i didn't just want to give people a bunch of numbers that tell people that you know things are working or not working i wanted to give them tools in order to do something about it, take action and so we, we very early on incorporated that messaging into our platform so that if you saw someone wasn't using something or taking advantage of it you could try to start educating them and st- try to start you know driving them to that area which if they continue to not use it well then that tells you a different thing than you know lack of awareness that's kind of been our focus and still to this day is kind of what we're focused on. It's very similar to the customer success approach, right? It's all about driving values, driving outcomes. And what I'm excited to dig into is that I think in customer success, we feel a lot of times like it's very manual. Like we have to personally be the CSM dragging the client along and going, be successful, be successful. And it's a human effort. And what you're doing with Pendo is is productizing that in a way, right? You're You're building the client experience into the product and making it, you're productizing the driver of those outcomes, which I think is a really, a really cool approach that I think uh, I'm excited to explore kind of how those marry together. Absolutely. I mean, in an ideal world, people go to use something and it's just like, wow, this is like amazing and life-changing and you don't need a human to, to help you at all. Yeah. But we don't live in an ideal world. <laughs> yeah, very true. So you recently published your book, uh, The Product-Led Organization, which is all about driving growth by putting product at the center of customer experience. Why did you write the book? You know, I was approached by a, um, 
a publisher a few years ago. And I, I kind of dismissed it at first, but but then after really came coming back to it. And look, I always say to write a book, you have to one have a story to be told that's compelling, and two, for me, the other bar I had is I wanted to tell a unique story. Like I didn't want to write yet another book around you know, what is product management and like this is the roles, and this is the responsibilities, and blah blah blah. Page Turner. A bunch of people have written that book, and they're great books, and even. Books around lean startup and experimentation and canvases. Like, I don't think the world needs another book on that. Like, we have good tools at our disposal. So, I I, I only wanted to write if I feel like there were something unique to be said. And the, the first area was there aren't a lot of good books on product data and product analytics. That isn't something that's really out there. And and the publisher was really interested in that area. But I said I can't just be about data. Like data, like is a means to an end. I want to talk about the end. Right. You know. And the end is, of course, being product led. And what hit me was just all the stories I had from working with customers and all the diverse examples and trying to broaden the approach to the book to focus on the cultural change and the organizational change required to to transition to this this notion of being product led was interesting. I thought it was compelling. I felt like it would be unique in the market. So that's kind of what would help drive that decision. Amazing. Can you briefly explain what a product-led organization is and why I, as a customer success professional, uh, should want to advocate for it or how it will help me do my job better as a customer success manager? Traditionally, we see product as just part of the overall experience. And what we're saying is that product-led organizations put product at the center of the customer experience and where every role is thinking about how they use the product to more effectively do their job. And one of the biggest pieces of feedback I hear from customer success professionals is that maybe this is an anti-pattern, not a pattern, or areas where they, they are concerned around their role or concerned around their role in certain companies is when they feel like they are just being a glorified product trainer. Right. You know, when I hear a CSM say, I feel like I'm just teaching people how to use the product, that doesn't feel strategic. It's not honestly, I think, why people sign up to be customer success professionals. No, definitely not. Yeah. So I think this is a great area where uh, product-led organizations can offload some of those more mundane, more tactical parts of a CSM's role to the product itself. And the, the product should be decent just teaching you how to get around it. Where, the, where you still want the CSM is someone asking the business questions, understanding the challenges in their business that may be outside what the product even currently does. Yeah. So you can be a more trusted partner with that customer to help them realize value, not just from the product, but in general. I mean, I think what makes CSMs great is that they're they're constantly finding ways that the, the company is partnering with the customer to deliver more value back. And it may be in the product, it may be a partner, CSMs through their engagement may uncover areas of growth for the business. Like, wow, I talked to these 10 customers. They're all asking about this thing. Have we thought about building that thing or even you know acquiring one of those yeah. things or whatever? <laughs> That's where the magic happens with the CSM relationship. It's not teaching them how to use this button or this screen, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so product-led organizations should be looking at what a CSM does and finding ways to extract these low value, high volume activities away right. so that they can focus on that higher level consultative approach. I love that. Uh, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Like, I mean, any any of the mundane stuff you can take off a of CSM's plate to give them more time to be proactive, 
build relationships, be the trusted advisor, drive more value. That's the stuff that everyone signs up for. Definitely not, like you said, uh, showing them where to find a button or which, you know, how to put in their name. And you did a brilliant segue into my next topic that I really wanted to, to dig in on, which is this tension that we see sometimes between CS and product. And this has been the subject of tons of meetups and blogs and all this kind of stuff, because there is a tension between, you know, product has the roadmap, they want to build what they want to build. Maybe the CEO or, or, you know, the head of product has a vision. And then CS is front lines with the customer and they're hearing, well, they want this feature. They want that feature. They want this button to be read. They want to have this integration. If we don't have this integration, I'm worried about this customer churning that impacts my compensation. And so all those discussions kind of get, get mixed around. And so that, that tension is there. I'm curious kind of where you land on, on that side of what should be driving the product roadmap and, and specifically how you, how your CS team and product team get along at Pendo. Yeah. Well, tension is a good thing. I love tension, you know, and, and yes, this is, I think we even did some, some, you know, event where we had this peanut butter and jelly situation with product and customer success. And then, you know, some people say it's the new sales and marketing where there's always been some tension. Look, where do I fall on it? I, obviously, it depends on your organization and different organizations to be investing different, you know, differently. I think that the key thing is being intentional. And depending on where you are in your phase of growth and in your history, where you spend your time will differ. And, you know, and I've done a variety of models here. You can look at kind of Horizon 1, 2, and 3. And that's something I borrowed, I guess, from one of the Jeffrey Moore books. And, you know, Horizon 1 is focusing on core customers, core revenue, making what you currently have better. And um, you may be in an instance where you need to invest in that. Maybe you see leading indicators of churn or attention that you don't like. Maybe you feel like there's just such a large set of requests in that area where you need to allocate disproportionately a greater percentage of your engineering capacity towards that. And that may be the right thing for the company. You know, Horizon 2 initiatives I usually see is like 12 to 24 months. Those are like the next product areas, the next growth areas. And look, as we all know, Folks out there in a SaaS business, growth matters. And yes, you can get growth from existing customers through revenue retention, but some of it's by having new products. So the reason there's tension is if you ignore the new products, you could end up in two years having nothing to sell to that base. And then you're like, uh, oh, crap, what do we do now? Right. So, so there's always going to be this balancing act. And you probably want to find ways to invest in Horizon 1 and Horizon 2. And then Horizon 3 are kind of these greater than three-year research projects, which I find often a lot of companies will underfund those or fund very fund them in a very, very low amount because they're riskier. You should assume that a greater percentage of the Horizon 3 things just die. That wouldn't be a great risk if they all succeed, right? But I think having a balanced investment approach makes a lot of sense. And, you know, so if you do all Horizon 2 initiatives, obviously that would hurt your existing business and obviously vice versa. So it's a balancing act. But be intentional. And, and the other thing is um, arm the CSMs, or I coach my product teams with arming CSMs with the data on this is what we're building and this why it matters, Mrs. Customer. So I know you're asking for these five things, but like this is what we're building and here's why. Right. Like because often when you teach the customer like this is what we're building, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. That that's even better than what I was asking right. for. Right. So this is why you know um, how roadmaps are communicated. I, I one of the few things it's very controversial. Like I'm, I guess I'm controversial, and I don't. I really prefer that product managers do it. I, I think um, um, not to say I don't like trust CSMs or salespeople from sharing roadmaps, but I like having a product person involved because one, it's a great excuse for introducing another person at the company to the to the prospect and or customer i just think 
I mean, and what we see at Pendo is the more Pendozers that engage with the customer, the better the outcome. No matter what the outcome is going to be, the better the outcome. They meet the more people they meet at Pendo, it always goes better. Our people are are great. Henceforth, meet more of them. Good things happen. The second thing is roadmap is just a communication device. To me, it's like sharing where we're going and then sharing the why behind it. Like. Mm-hmm. I know you're not asking for these things, but we feel really passionate about this for this why. Mm-hmm. Elicits better partnership with the customer because then they say, well, no, we don't have that problem at all. Well, that's pretty good feedback for the product manager. Like, why the heck do we prioritize this thing? I, I talked to a bunch of people and, and they don't they don't value it. So it's all about communication. It's all about being intentional. It's all about people understanding the why behind everything that exists in the roadmap. Um, and then you asked about, you know, how's the, the relationship you know, between you know, product and CS uh, at Pento and good is what I think, you know, like <laughs> Fair enough. Them, you know, like I, <laughs> I'm also like, a, like, I think entrepreneurs are like diehard optimists. Fair enough. So like, like I, I think everything's probably okay, but I don't hear a ton of tension between those orgs. Now we do have this product operations role or product ops role or product ops role, whatever it's called props refer to it in it. Called props. That, yeah. What props. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I like that. Um, but that team has done such a great job of being that conduit between CS and product where um, we didn't have a centralized conduit before. It was like different CS folks communicating with different product folks. And then the, the feedback loop was hard. And yeah. now we have some more centralization. It works a whole heck of a lot better. And and then in our we do a monthly portfolio review where we're looking at everything in flight. We're looking at roadmap statuses we're also looking at customer commits looking at asks and we get really good visibility and as an org in any one month we'll have half a dozen to a dozen customer commits which may seem like a lot like oh my gosh you guys do every month yeah (laughs) the other day i'm a we're aggressive company you know if someone says we really want this thing and I always tell our product team, don't get offended by it. You know, that's just, uh, it's good feedback. If someone's willing to sign a deal or commit to you based on yeah. this this feature, and we are already going to build the feature anyway, it's just a matter of when to build it. Yeah, commit to it. I'm cool with it. So um, the product ops team provides visibility to it. Now, it's also very powerful because our, our portfolio review process is the entire executive team. And now if I see a single customer dominating all the commits, and we also see the AR associated with it. We can say, okay, right. we, are, we are not a custom development shop. <laughs> so like, this is a little ridiculous. <laughs> you know, if it feels like too much, it also could be that customer is just a forward thinker. Definitely. And they're, they're, um, and we, maybe we should be listening to them more. That's a good thing. You need a balance of both those, you know, the, the customers that ask a ton can be a great source of innovation and annoyance and it's striking that balance. And then the customers that you never hear from or that don't have ideas, it's, it can be fine, but they're they're not as exciting, and it's so it's good to have. I definitely agree. It's it's good to have that external innovation coming as well. I love when customers start pitching ideas because I feel like that's also the best indicator that they understand your product or they understand their goals with your product. When they're like, "Okay, I get it. I love it. Here's what I you know I think you should do." And often it's not to say it's always great ideas, but as a CSM, back when I was a CSM, I used to love that because it, to me it just showed that they were truly engaged as users of the product, they were fans, they felt invested in it to some degree that they wanted to spend time calling me and saying, hey, like I would love if you integrated with this and here's why, or here's what I think it should look like and I think it should have a button like this. I'm like, great, love it. Yeah, I mean, those are the best. Look, I mean, and if you can get that relationship with a customer where they they have a sense of ownership of the outcome, like, wow, I steered this company 
And this feature exists because I asked for it. Yeah. You're going to build customers for life that's when you huge. do that. So like that, like that's true co-creation is true partnerships. Everyone wants to influence the things they use. We all want, let's be honest. We all want to. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. For those who don't know, you're, you're a three-time entrepreneur. I'm sure you've been through a multitude of, of highs and lows with Pendo and, and previous companies. What is the last big mistake you remember making and what did you learn from it? Last big mistake. I, I, um, Hard for an optimist to, to think of right away. <laughs> honestly, so many. Like, question is like, like, well, there's lots of people mistakes, but I don't want to get anyone <laughs> people mistake. I would go with like my last company, painful mistake. I get still just pissed off about to this day was just I really failed to be disciplined on finding product market fit. I will caveat this. Everyone probably in the audience is like, gasped. You know, I can't believe like, they failed in that so obvious of thing. This is before there were any books. Like I think it was before like the term product market fit was you know coined. Okay, fair enough. So this was back in like, believe it or not, that wasn't that long ago. It was like 20 years ago. So 20 years ago, now nah, I sound old when I'm thinking 20 years ago. But, but uh, yeah, but right around 20 years ago was uh, my last actually company and um my math is right and yeah we just we rushed it we we raised a small seed round and somehow for some idiotic reason we put a date in the the the, you know a date in front of our investors like we're going to ship on this date you know like i have no idea and start like charging like the next month which is just absolute craziness and um you know if you anyone's on this phone calls read the four steps of the epiphany by steve blank it is a probably a harder read to get through it's not a quite the page turner that lean startup is but i'm telling you i read that first chapter and i was just like screaming at this book because i these are all the mistakes that we did i i think we were just really disciplined at pendo to make sure we didn't make those mistakes again and we we actually shipped we let's say we started kind of january 2014 and we shipped the first product in april and we just told investors, hey, we have no idea when we're going to charge for this thing. Whenever it feels right, that's when we'll charge for it. And like, and be comfortable that if you're investing in us, just know that we're we're not going to bend on this ever. Like, we are not going to be charging this thing until it delivers customer value and it feels good. And that's what happened. And we just kept iterating on it. Like, we'd ship every week. We'd listen to customers. We'd talk to people. We would you know, get more beta customers. So we had a lot of beta customers. So we just had a lot of people playing with it. And we we got to a point where people started really using it. We asked the question, would you pay? They said yes. And then that kind of started a different motion. But that to me was by far the biggest mistake I've made. It's like not being disciplined in product market fit, like be patient and get it right early. Like even to this day, I think we benefit from that time in 2014 where we're just super patient. Well, and it took that big mistake to learn that, right? Like otherwise Pendo might not have, have taken off the way it did, right? You might've jumped the gun if you hadn't made that mistake with the previous company. Exactly. Exactly. Painful. Wow. That was painful. (laughs) Sorry to make you relive that. (laughs) No, it's all good. (laughs) Um, Speaking of painful, uh, COVID-19 has obviously caused all of us to have to readjust personally and professionally in some way. What's one way in which you've grown through this experience? Maybe one personal and, and one professional. Honestly, it's been probably more personal growth than professional growth. I'm at home a lot more than I ever had, had been before. I, I mean, I'm a kind of a three-week-a-month traveler. Oh, wow. That's probably the thing I miss the most. I miss being with my colleagues around the world. You know, we've got offices in Israel and UK, and I have been to San Francisco now once. We have office in New York. I've seen very few people outside of Raleigh, and actually very few people inside of Raleigh as well. So I guess it doesn't, <laughs> you know, for a variety of reasons. But I, I think not being able to visit 
some of our colleagues around the world's been is uh, hard for me. And like, I don't think people are working hard. I mean, I, and I've never been that kind of leader where like I, people, I have to see them, you know, you know, butts and seats to assume people are working like productivity, like that word has always been like, not like a hot button for me too, too much. But yeah, I think I certainly um, look forward to getting back to that. But personally, I guess a couple things that have been interesting. One, uh, if I have work, family, and then self, self is always the priority that gets dropped when you're traveling a lot, you know, and I think I've been really, really good about like staying in shape and staying healthy and focusing more on me more so than I ever have before. And I think it's been pretty good. <laughs> you know, That's good. I, I like that. And I think looking ahead, I got to figure out not how, like how to not lose that when things start ramping back up. But I think that that's been good. And then I've also seen like on the family side, my wife more than I ever have in my whole life. Of course, we've met when I was working a lot and traveling a lot. So yeah, I mean, it's been positive. And, and just seeing my kids more than I ever had before has been, um, like really positive. And, and so I got to figure out the right balances when I get back, you know, I don't want to basically lose what I've, what I've worked up, but yeah, that's been the most interesting thing for me. Did you find before that you're, I mean, you mentioned that, that personal was the one that got dropped. Did you find before that, like, were you getting sick? Did you feel like there was an imbalance in, in sort of the work life stuff that was going on? I'm not a person that gets sick a lot, but yeah, every once in a while I would probably be, I, I, w- I would be disappointed in, in my, like how, whether I'm in shape or out of shape and I would like go into, you know, fits and spurts. And it was just one of the things I didn't have consistency in, in, in and I find myself making excuses for not taking care of myself and it's frustrating. It's frustrating. So, so I think that's an area where once you get into a routine, it's much easier to keep that routine. That's been actually one of the biggest, biggest positives, you know, through, through all this. That's fantastic. I was talking with Kevin, one of our co-founders at Catalyst, and he actually got COVID. He, he nearly died. He was, he was intubated. He was on a ventilator for about a month. It was definitely something similar with him, right? The travel, nonstop work, all this stuff leading up to it, neglecting, taking care of himself. And then he was hit with that. And so, you know, he's lucky he made it through, but definitely is an, a new outlook on on you know balance and i think it's a good point that once things go back to normal it's going to be interesting for all of us to try to keep the good habits we've developed during covid and uh still sort of assimilate back into old life and let go of the bad stuff and keep the positive yeah yeah look it's all i mean people talk about work-life integration and but now i think we all have a different perspective of, of what that means and what's important and um yeah, I think it'll be interesting Interesting to see how we prioritize things as things go back to, to more normal, whatever that is, you know. But, yeah, but sure. um, Last question. If you were hosting a podcast and you could be sponsored by anyone, meaning you'd get an unlimited free supply of whatever they sell, which uh, company would you choose? <laughs> this is an interesting one. Wow. Um, I need ideas. Who, who, am I, who am I pitching to? McAllen's been taken. Uber Helicopter has been taken. Just that those were your first two options. I'm trying to think of the other ones. I thought about something alcohol related, but but having an <laughs> it's a common supply. trend among among CEOs. They're all asking for whiskey and vodka. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go a different direction because I was trying to think of all the things I consume the most of. Just like myself, not myself personally, but my family. I, I'd have to go with Lululemon. Mm. You know, I've got two teenage daughters, and of course. And I, I'm also uh, and a, and a wife, and I myself like to work out once in a while. So, like, that stuff's like 
bizarrely expensive for what it is. It is. Um, yeah. <laughs> like a, a pair of leggings is like over a hundred bucks. I, I was in shock when I started seeing these things. So, and I, the fact that I have like all these different pairs and lots of people to, to, to clothe and in the, in COVID, I mean, it, like think you people wearing Lululemon pretty much every day of their lives, you know? True. So it's a, I think it'd be a great investment for now. And, um, so it would probably save me more money than anything else. And it's really pretty comfortable. So, so, uh, Fair enough. I, I'll go with that. That's so. a good one. <laughs> Love it on the theme of staying active. That's great. Uh, awesome. Well, Todd, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Where can people find uh, the product led organization to read more uh, of your book? Uh, so it's on Amazon type in product led organization on, on Amazon or, uh, our website, www.pendo.io. We'll have more information as well. Awesome. Thanks so much. Have, uh, have a great week. We'll talk soon. You too, Ben. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit Catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn, and this was NPS I Love You. P.S. I love you.